What do you want to be when you grow up? Many of us are afraid to answer this question. We may be comfortable and productive in our current practice setting, but not happy. How do you go about making decisions that may affect the rest of your professional life? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, Director of Foothill Psychiatry in Boise, Idaho, your host. And with me today is Internist and Chief of Occupational Health at California Pacific Medical Center in San Francisco, Dr. Linda Haas-Clever. Dr. Clever is the founding president of Renew, a not-for-profit aimed at helping people maintain and regain enthusiasm, effectiveness, and purpose as they resolve the competing imperatives of work and life. Welcome back to ReachMD, Dr. Clever. It's a pure pleasure. Linda, how does one decide whether this is the professional setting that is right for you, both for your current needs and for the future? I think it first starts with asking some questions, some really practical questions. There are two kinds of people you want to ask the questions. One is you, yourself. You want to ask yourself. And the other kind of people actually is your dear ones. So that when you're thinking about um, making decisions about, am I in the right place? Am I in the right spot? Am I doing the right? It's not a solo job. And so I would just say, Kind of obviously, the the original thinking has to be yours. You just wonder, gee, maybe I'm better suited for something else or somewhere else. But it's not a great idea. You don't want to get way down that road without involving the people who are closest to you in your life because you do influence each other kind of back and forth. And then there are a series of of questions that you can ask yourself and, and each other, such as what do you really love to do? You know, sometimes we've fallen into specialties or we've fallen into places or practices because it was handy, and nothing wrong with handy. Um, something has to be easy sometime. But what we really love and what our passion is um, may be slightly different from what we're doing right now. So the really love is, is a, uh, a good question to ask. Actually, just last night we were having a, a conversation group, and one of the um, participants keeps files of things that really interest her. She happens to be kind of at a time when she's thinking of moving into a part-time practice and then eventually retiring, and she wants to have kind of a soft landing. And so she has a file of things that clippings and newspaper articles and uh, contacts and so forth that that, um, she has. And so that's kind of in her, well, I may not love to do this, but I'm really interested in these things. So that's the question. What do you love to do? What piques your interest? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm reading a book now that I think is wonderful that is sort of tangentially related. The The author is a sports writer, so um, completely not having anything to do with medicine. But uh, the book is called Far Afield, and it's about this year where he left his regular job and went to Europe to cover completely different sporting events like cricket and, you know, things that us Americans don't know much about. But it's a very interesting story about people exactly going through this sort of process about what do you really love and what do you need to do and what's the future like? And then it gets exciting. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, lighting a, a bit of a fire. Uh, and then and you notice it kind of clears your vision or it brings new things into your vision and it becomes, um, in a way, less scary the more options or the more interests you have. I mean, not, not to be frantic about it, but there are probably two or three things that really do fascinate us. The other kind of thing is, you know, what setting do we like? Geography. Um, mm-hmm. What kind of organizations do we like to be? Do we like the indoors? Do we like urban? Do we like want to be able to go out for a walk every morning and, and that sort of thing? And also, 
Do we like to work in groups? Do we like to work by ourselves, big or small? You know, what are the resources? Those sort of just basically what kind of place, both practice place and living place, do I want to be in? Another thing is, as we're thinking about, am I being productive, am I comfortable or not? Because we may be, and again, then the challenge is staying that way, staying excited and on a, and a high, which is we really keep asking the same questions. It's fair enough to say, am I stuck? That is, what's keeping me from making some changes? Is it, we may come up with some exciting ideas, well, but why aren't I moving? And that's worth some thinking and some conversations, again, with dear ones. Sometimes we, we get stuck because we think somebody else wants it, and it turns out they don't want it at all right. we've never brought it up. One of the great things about being a physician is that we do have so many different options in all ways, geographical, what kind of organization, what kind of practice setting, and just the freedom to move from one to the other where many professions don't have that. I think it's true. Uh, in, in one way, physicians tend to stay physicians. Um, um, other, even other health professionals may, you know, 40%, 40% of nurses drop out of nursing within one year of nursing school. Wow. They drop out of nursing. Uh, and that's part of our nursing shortage uh, tragedy that we're having. And, and we can talk about that sometime. But, but physicians do tend to stay physicians, but they certainly can be in different countries. They can be in, in different um, practice settings. And I do think that as we're looking at a new place, we need to ask some questions, certainly about the science, for example, and do they have electronic medical records or do they have a plan for them or, or you know, whatever. But are the people nice? Mm. Are the people fun? Uh, are there people, do they have a, a mentoring program or is there someone, let's say it's a, just a two or three or four person practice, would somebody be a mentor? Uh, what will they invest in you to help you be productive? Will they, is there time to get some continuing education? Could you have a sabbatical? Can you get coaching? If they're putting in a new system, will somebody spend the time with you to, or pay for somebody to come in and coach you how to do it? Uh, will they offer flexible schedules? All of these things are important because the pleasure of a practice is important too. And again, the people that you work with and the the, the support uh, that's offered are are awfully important, including, you know, what's the reputation of this outfit? Are they reliable? Do they have a sense of humor? Are they committed to their family? I can remember one time when our, our daughter uh, early in her residency was dating a fellow who was a surgeon and, you know, who said, everybody in my class of surgical residents, said this fellow, has gotten divorced. Well, is that the kind of training program you really want to be? Yeah, right. That's not a good sign. Not a good sign. You know, Linda, it always sounds just sort of um, so light and and maybe even frivolous to think about, are the people nice? Are they fun? Do they have a sense of humor? But, uh, you know, I think probably one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was when I had children, I was really starting to stress and freak out about what school to send them to and how do you choose and all those sort of new parent decisions. So I ended up, I went back to where I grew up and talked to the teacher that was most influential in, in my education I had just as a little girl. And I asked her, you know, how do you choose the right school for your kids? And she said, well, you know, obviously you want to look at things like test scores and, you know, the sort of details that we all obsess over. But she said, the most important thing, I think, is to walk in and just look at the kids and see if they're happy. 
And if they're not happy, it doesn't matter what kind of numbers the school puts out. You don't want your kid there. And, you know, I think so often we do the same thing professionally. We get caught up in the details, the the salary and, you know, what our office looks like. But that really, at the end of the day, doesn't matter a whole lot. I think it's true. Well, we know that if somebody gets a raise, they smile for about three weeks, you know, and then it's back to the old grind unless, you know, if they've been unhappy, money doesn't doesn't take care of all that. We've heard that before, but it, it, money doesn't solve all the problems. And I, I love your teacher's um, advice. It's absolutely true. And actually, with, with our daughters, with, with, with her friend, with this surgical fellow, we, we all know and we've heard about surgeons whose lives are only surgery. So I went to a friend of ours, just as you did, and said to him, Barry, you know, you have kids, your kids have become doctors you know, you have a wonderful marriage. How did you do this and be such a good surgeon? And he said, I sought out partners who had my same values about family so that we could cover for each other. We could take time off. We could do the things. And he said, and that took a search, but I, you know, I did it. Hmm. Hmm. And I think along with that and your teacher's comment and our, all of our experience is one of the things in this quest for the right place I guess two things I'd say. One is virtually every physician changes a practice more than once and maybe two or three or four times. And if you ask a, a group of 200, uh, some people change five times or so after training. And obviously that can get frenetic and, and may, may bespeak some other kinds of problems. But it's not embarrassing and it's not, quote, bad, end quote, to change a practice, to change a setting. It's done uh, quite frequently. But I think in this process, as we look around, one of the things that we need to remember is we can collect all of the data, the hard data and the data about are people nice and are they fun and who would be a mentor and so forth. And we have to pay attention to our gut, to our instinct. And to a certain extent, that's trained out of us as far as our own lives because we become so engaged in in the science of it. I think that as we go along in the practice of medicine, our clinical instincts become much more prominent and we just get the feeling that there's something we're missing or there's something wrong and we will intervene and can't ever figure out exactly what our thought process is. But I'm just suggesting it's the same thing for our lives, is that especially if we're looking at whether it's a relationship or another kind of big change in our lives, we really need to pay attention to our heart and our soul and our gut. And you just can't make lists of actual things all the time. You have to put the gut in there, too. And, you know, so many of these things aren't measurable. Exactly. Uh, you know, it's interesting as you talk about changing practices. Uh, I think if we look to other professions, I, th- I think of all the attorneys I know. It seems like they're always changing firms. And, I, you know, I think of it as this endless Venn diagram intersection where the, the names are the same, but the groupings keep changing. And, and you know, they, they seem to be okay with it. Yes, I think, I think we feel often a real obligation with our patients, and that's appropriate and true. But there's some times when uh, we, for the long run, not just today and tomorrow and six months, but for you know, our career, which is 20 or 30 or 40 more years, we may have to disappoint some patients by you know, leaving or moving. Uh, they will find another good doctor. They will find another good doctor. Now, don't you also think that uh, the people who sort of re- refuse to, to make changes and say that uh, they're, they're not going to make a choice, but isn't not making a choice making a choice? <laughs> it pretty much is. <laughs> um, 
it's a choice. You know, you choose not to make a choice. You choose not to move, and that may be right. But as resist the loquitur, it is a choice one way or the other. And I think an important thing to think about that is is that we live those consequences of making our choices, whether to change or not to change. Uh, we therefore live the consequences of not making choices, but in fact we really have chosen not to move or not to change. And life will pan out because of that. I think sometimes we, we want to keep things kind of frozen in amber or we go into a tuck and we say, well, we'll just keep everything the same. Well, that's not really how the world is. Well, I'd like to thank our guest today, Dr. Linda Haas-Clever. We have been discussing how to evaluate your current professional situation. I'm Dr. Leslie Lent. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157 the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to our next time together.